Happy Easter. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Thanks, Pastor Jeremy, for warming up the crowd for me. You're sounding great out there. Everybody uh, here in person, everybody online, we're grateful that you're sharing some time this Easter as we celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and I want to start actually my message. I want to make a quick announcement. And that is that there is no shame in being a Christian. Amen? There's no shame in being a Christian. Uh, I don't know why you're here today or why you're tuning in maybe online or what maybe you think about all these people who go around believing that long, long time ago there was this man and he was a nice guy, sure. He talked about loving other people as yourself and certainly lived a life of service. But then it, he thought that by dying on a cross that he would pay for uh, our sins, take on the punishment for our sins. But then even more than that, that he would rise from the dead and he would come back to life. Now, there were three instances that recorded, that we know of at least three, where Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection. And to my knowledge, uh, he is the only human in history to ever predict his own death and resurrection and then pull it off. So there's no shame in being a Christian. And I would love to, if you have questions, you have doubts, I love to have those kind of conversations and listen to kind of your journey and where you are, what you think about God. Um, look me up this week, uh, email, text, whatever. Uh, I'd love to have that conversation with you. But actually today, there's a much deeper meaning in my announcement that there is no shame in being a Christian. So what I mean is that there is, there's no shame in Christ. There's no shame in people who are in Christ. Let's be honest with us. I mean, some people know who you are. We became, most people don't know. So just raise your hand if you, help me out, have you ever done anything in your life that you're very ashamed of? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're, uh, those watching online, absolutely. We're a room full of people uh, with their hands up. Now, if you're here physically in person, uh, I want you to do is just kind of lean over to the person sitting next to you and, and tell them what that thing was that you did. No, don't do that. <laughs> just kidding. Don't share that. Don't share that. Uh, but what I've learned as I've matured in my faith, I've matured emotionally, uh, and I've uh, actually even more recently, last few years, I've been uh, taking some doctoral classes and we've been reading books that I would have never read on my own. And uh, one of the authors I really like, her name is Brene Brown. I don't know how many of you are familiar with her. She's a psychologist. She's basically the world expert on shame. And what I've learned is that for most people, the number one unhealthy driver in their life is shame. And you may ask, what, what motivates me? What am I driven by? And I can tell you my purest motivation, like from, from a good side, I am motivated. It's more than I can put into words. I know Pastor Jeremy feels the same way, right? We are so motivated to be able to let you see the God that we see. 
to let you know how much God loves you. So, so that you can experience the peace that we experienced in the life's turmoils and upheavals, the peace that we have in Jesus, the joy that God gives us every single morning when we wake up. I am so excited and so motivated to share that wonderful news with each and every person that I meet. I'm so glad I get to meet all of you here this morning and share it with you. Unfortunately, I'm also a sinful person. And sometimes my motivations are impure. And sometimes I am driven by shame. Like most people. Shame goes all the way back to the beginning of human history. You can go all the way back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden. And what we see is a very powerful example of what life was like before shame and the tragedy that is life with shame. The very last verse in chapter two says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now that is just incredible to me. Uh, not the naked part. Oh, okay, maybe a little of the naked part, maybe, a little bit. But no, mostly, specifically, the no shame part. Here's a husband and a wife completely vulnerable to each other, exposed physically and emotionally. And there was no embarrassment. There was no burdens to carry. They had a perfect intimacy, a wonderful relationship with each other, and and with God. They walked with God in the garden, in the cool of the day. They had this wonderful relationship with each other. There was no shame, and it was paradise. Then you know what happened. Sin entered the picture, right? The devil tempted them to disobey God, and the instant sin entered their lives, they felt an intense feeling of shame. So much so that they covered themselves, that they tried to hide from God. You see, it was much more, much more than just they realized, well, we've done something bad, but they actually felt that they were bad people. And that's the difference between guilt and shame. They're very different. Uh, guilt is action-based. Guilt believes that I did something wrong. But shame is identity-based. Shame believes that I am bad. The psychologist Brene Brown, she defines shame for us this way. It's really good. Shame is the intensely painful feeling of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love. Or something we've experienced something we've done, something we've failed to do, makes us unworthy of connection. And I don't know what it was when you raised your hand. Maybe it was m multiple things. Maybe you're ashamed of a poor financial decision that you've made, poor investment, poor debt that you took on. Maybe you're still struggling with it today. Maybe it's shame from a past sexual sin. Maybe it's a secret. Maybe it's something that you're so ashamed of you keep hidden and you don't want anybody to ever find out what it is. 
what happens is the devil tries, usually successfully, to take what we've done, that action, and tie it to our identity. It's not just that I did something bad, but I am bad. I am broken. I am flawed. I am unworthy. I am unlovable. It's shame-based thinking, and it is not from God. It's from sin. I'll give you a few examples of how shame-based thinking influences our everyday lives. I'll list three. Maybe you'll find yourself, you'll identify with one of these or two of these or maybe all three. But one of the things that it does is that we are vulnerable to perfectionism. How many of you say, okay, sometimes I am vulnerable to perfectionism? Huh? Nick, don't elbow your, raise your own hand. This is Easter Sunday, all right? No, what perfectionism is, is we're trying to hide our shame with a perfect performance. It's like, hey, look how good I did. And with perfectionism, it's almost impossible to admit any type of fault. Maybe you identify with that. Maybe, maybe you can see that you're critical of yourself, which drives you to be critical of others. It's another way it influences our, our lives every day. It's true, the most often, the most critical people around are the people who are dealing with the most shame. Shamed people tend to shame other people. It, what's going on is that what we see in the other person, we hate that sin in that other person that is the same sin that we hate in ourselves. It's easier to project that out though. Another way it can influence us is that we use self-defeating thoughts to shield ourselves from disappointment. Always think of the worst case scenario. We lower our expectations, so we're not gonna be disappointed. And we're robbing ourselves of opportunities and relationships that God has for us. When we say, oh, they're just gonna reject me, and so you don't risk the relationship. You say, oh, I'm just, I would, if I tried that, I would, it would fail. I couldn't do that. And we don't risk the opportunity. And we are sabotaging ourselves. We're sabotaging what God is trying to do to bless us. I've had my own shame-based thinking. I'm gonna be vulnerable. I'm gonna share a little bit of it with you. Again, as I've matured, Uh, emotionally and spiritually, I can look back over my life and I can see moments, moments where shame increased in my life, in my heart. I think back all the way when I was a kid, just a young guy, pretty cute though, right? Right? Doesn't he look so innocent? Look at him. He's holding his Bible in his arm. His other hand, he's got his little sister by the hand. And this is actually Easter Sunday. They're headed to church on Easter Sunday. Here they go. So sweet, so innocent. Well, what I remember about being that age is that uh, my parents had a business, the shopping mall strip, you know, and the business right next door was a pizza place, that's called Pizza Palace, and we shared restrooms in the back of the store. And so I got to 
the owner over there, he knew me. He'd let me come over there, goof around, and, you know, before they opened in the morning. So one morning, though, I went to the, my mom's office, and I stole a $20 bill out of my mom's purse, ran around to the pizza palace, and I played Donkey Kong until the cows came home. I mean, 20 bucks would go a long way. But after it was over, I felt so corrupt. I felt so ashamed. And moving on, in high school, again, on the outside, things look so great. Isn't that a beautiful girlfriend I had back in high school? It's okay. She's my wife today. I can say that. Some of you aren't comfortable with that. Yes. On the outside, well, I played sports. I played in the band. I uh, had good grades, honors classes, everything. On the outside, looking great. What I remember is about this time, the end of the school year, my senior year, my homeroom teacher called the house and left a message on, remember those old message answer machines, tape, tape, cassette tapes? Nobody? Okay. <laughs> left a message for my parents that said, uh, Mr. and Mrs. McCrory, I'm informing you that Mark has missed so many days of school that if he misses one more day, he's not going to graduate. Now, up until that point, my parents were not aware of how many unexcused absences I had accumulated. But I was so embarrassed. I felt so ashamed. Young adult life, I'm in my mid-20s now, it's the late 90s. Uh, email is just the, the greatest new tool in business. Everybody remembers an email came out? Am I still dating myself? Somebody remembers email, right? Uh, just came on the scene. This is incredible tool, right? Efficient communication. You collaborate multiple people. Well, what I, unfortunately, got in the habit of doing is just, just spewing whatever was on my mind in an email. Somebody made a suggestion that was dumb. I'd say, that's dumb. Somebody challenged me. You're wrong. I said, well, you're not wrong. I'll tell you why you're wrong. And this is da, da, da. I just lash out. And I was so regretful afterwards. And I was ashamed that I had exposed that side of me to people who wouldn't know. I usually do a good job, you know, on the outside. I'm a good, why would I do that? I was so ashamed. And this is what shame-based thinking does. This is how it influenced me. So in my own eyes, who am I? One person who steals, who deceives, who is so immature, they just lash out at people. Therefore, I am a bad person. Therefore, God can't use me. God probably doesn't even really love me. Bad person. Well, I'm very, very happy to be able to share with you that I am no longer ashamed of myself or my past because my past is covered in the blood of Jesus. And from my purest motivation, <laughs> I am so excited to be able to help you see that your past is covered with the blood of Jesus. And that is not who you are. Who you are is a child of God, loved forever.
accepted, healed. Of course, I still struggle with this. We all do. This is a world that we live in. And that the point of attack that uh, the enemy comes at me with is he gets me to say that, that I am not enough. Right? I'm not enough. I'll never measure up. I'll, I'll never be able to do all of these things that God wants me to do. Right? A husband, a father, a chaplain, a pastor, a friend, a son. It, it just, it, it's, it, it can't do it. You can't do it. You're not good enough. And so, from my impure motivation, I'm trying to hide my shame. It's why I work so hard to be that perfect dad and husband and perfect pastor that does everything in the church wants to do, makes everybody in the church happy. You're supposed to laugh at that part. Good luck, right? But for my empire, it's, it's crazy. But yes, I am motivated. I strive so hard to prove my worth. Of course, you know, anytime you think something bad about yourself, there might be just a little bit of truth in there, you know? Right? It's a little bit of truth. If you came in this morning and you say, hey, Pastor Mark, I'm a bad person. And I'd say, yes, you are. Yeah, and happy Easter. Glad you came to feel good about yourself. Or you may say, Pastor, I am inadequate. I'll say, yes, you are. We all are. There's a little bit of truth in that for all of us. You were not designed to be everything and to do everything without help. So when I say I'm not good enough and uh, I work so hard to try to do and please and, and be and everywhere and do everything. And so what happens when my wife says, hey, can you stop and pick up dinner? And I say, I can't. My son says, are you making my football game this weekend? I can't. And uh, uh, the police call and say, hey, can you do a death notification in uh, South? No, I can't today. Uh, can, Pastor, can you do the devotion? This, I can't. Can you be at this meeting? I can't. Can you take this call? No, I can't. I can't. And that just reinforces that shame, that point of attack the enemy has for me that I am not enough. The people of Israel, it's a great example for us. Uh, for 430 years, they were slaves in Egypt. Now imagine that, 430 years. How many generations were born a slave, lived a slave, died a slave? Born a slave, lived a slave, died a slave. 430 years until God raises up Moses. And Moses comes to deliver his people. He leads them out of the bondage of Egypt and up to the promised land. But the tragedy is that even though outwardly they were free, inwardly they still felt unvalued, unworthy. They still lived as if they were still slaves. Christian, the tragedy for us is that God has set you free. And yet too often, we live as if we're still in bondage to shame. Now there is one way that we can heal our shame. If you raised your hand and you were ashamed of something, no more. After today, no more. This is the only way we can heal ourselves from shame. That's to move the focus from what I'm not to who God is. We're going to move the focus from ourselves and put it 
onto Jesus Christ. Now again, I don't know what that shame was for you. Financial, moral, relational, something maybe that happened to you that you couldn't control. We have to take the focus off of ourselves and put it onto Jesus. And this is where you get to, uh, why are we talking about this in Easter? What does this have to do with Easter? (laughs) Well, because in Hebrews 12, we, we read that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Can we read this with me, this next part? Let's read it together. Scorning its shame. Listen to that. Scorning its shame. Jesus loathed it. He hated what shame was doing to people. It goes all the way back to the beginning. God despised the shame that Adam and Eve felt just because they had done something wrong that they were no longer worthy of his love. They were no longer children of God. And he scorns that. Yeah, you did something bad. But you're my child. That's not who you are. You are loved and you are forgiven. Jesus scorned the shame that the apostle Peter felt when he denied Jesus. In Judas' betrayal and in your life today, Jesus scorns, he despises the shame that breaks up your intimacy with God, the shame that kills your joy. He hates that, he despises it. And on Good Friday, Jesus was crucified. How many of you remember the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ? How many of you can sit through the whole thing with your eyes open? Right? It's, it's hard to watch. It is so brutal and gory. The blood and the guts, you just recoil. You physically cannot look at the screen. It, it, you can feel the pain. It's so awful. Now this is what I find so fascinating. This is really fascinating. So, 2,000 years ago, the people of that day, they were repulsed. They did recoil. They couldn't look at their eyes. But you know, it wasn't the gore. It wasn't the pain, and it wasn't the blood and the guts. You see, people in those days, they butchered their own animals. They buried their own dead. There weren't funeral homes. They dealt with this stuff. This was just day and night, life and death, another day, another dollar. What repulsed them, what was so abhorrent to them was the shame of a human stripped naked, fully exposed. And the people whom Jesus came to love mocked him, they slapped him, they spat on him, And Jesus says, I scorn this shame. You are not going to stop me. I have come to seek and to save the lost. I have come to die for the redemption of many. And shame, 
You will not dissuade me. You will not discourage me. You will not defeat me. And Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And the earth shook and went dark. And day one, they waited. And day two, they lost hope. And day three, a few women went to the tomb just to check on things. And the stone had been rolled away. And the tomb was empty. And then these men in dazzling white announced to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Jesus isn't in a graveyard. He is alive. He's alive forevermore. And the shame that enveloped him, that he took on himself, was our shame. It was our identity as sinners, as rebellious people of God. And it was left in that grave when Jesus came back to life. And in his resurrection, we are raised anew too. And we have a new identity. We're going to move the shame from our lives. So we're going to change the focus from ourselves to who? To Jesus. And so I really want you to do this. I want you to practice this. So in your own mind, fill in that blank, whatever the enemy attacks you with. Maybe, I'll give you some examples. Maybe shame comes to you and says that you're a horrible person. Take that focus off of yourself. I'm not horrible. Because of Christ, I am forgiven. Shame may come at you and say that you are broken. What happened to you, nobody can use you now. You say, take that focus off. I'm not broken. Because of Christ, I am whole. For a lot of people, shame attacks and tries to convince them that they're unwanted. Take that focus off of yourself. I'm not unwanted because of Christ. I am loved. I am forgiven. I am new. I am chosen. I am a child of God. Yes? I've already shared with you what my blanks are up there. I am not enough. (laughs) Maybe a little truth in that, sure. But I take the focus off of me, and I say I may not be enough, but because of Christ in me, I am more than enough. The Israelites, 400 years slaves, another 40 years wandering in the desert, struggling with this new identity. And as they enter the promised land, God speaks to their leader, Joshua. And the Lord said to Joshua, today, I have rolled away the shame of Egypt from you. The shame has been removed. I don't know, again, what that is. Whether it's financial, immoral, whatever, that that the enemy tries to tie what you've done to your identity. God says, I'm rolling that away today. Just as we celebrate the stone being rolled away, the symbol, the sign, the historical fact 
of our redemption and our new identity in Christ. Now listen. Right here, right here. Online, pay attention. Some point in your life, somebody may have said to you, shame on you. Shame on you. The devil may whisper in your ear still, shame on you. Today, God rolls that away. Today, God says to you, shame off you. Shame off you. You are not what you've done. You're not what somebody did to you. You're not what other people say you are. You're not even what you often think about yourself. You are only what the risen Christ says you are. And that is loved, accepted, forgiven, new child of God. That is your only identity. That is the reality that we live in now and forever. Shame off you! Because the stone has been rolled away and our shame has been rolled away with it. Amen? Yeah, amen. I invite you to stand. We'll have our closing prayer. We certainly wish everybody a happy Easter. Heavenly Father, thank you for your incredible love shown to us in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see in him the love and the power that you have for your world. Help us, we pray, to remember that we are your children, first, foremost, and only, that in your eyes, God, we are even perfect, that we have nothing to be ashamed of ever again. Thank you, Jesus, for your incredible sacrifice Help us to share and be motivated by that, that share that good news with our family and friends, that we are new, we are forgiven, and we have eternal life with you. We pray in the resurrected Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.